Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Grain by Train podcast for Grain Week 5. I'm Greg Northey from Pulse Canada, and I'm joined by Milt Poirier of QGI Consulting, who manages the Ag Transport Coalition, the consortium of agriculture groups that produce data and reports on rail service and performance. How are you doing today, Milt? I'm good, Greg. How are you? Yeah, pretty good. So we've got our Week 5 report, so we'll touch quickly on that uh, and the performance from the railways, which seems pretty good, but you'll get into that in a bit more detail. And then... The big news this week is around potential labor disruption in the U.S., so we'll touch a bit on that. So let's start with the week five report, Milt. How do the railways do? Good. You know, they're steady and they've been steady since the beginning of grain year, really going back to the end of the last grain year. So good, CN 97%, second week in a row, CP 92, a little bit of a drop off, but nothing material. Performance seems to be well-rounded. You know, they're strong pretty much in all corridors, across customers. Performance is even. CP with a little bit of uh, jitters, if you will, in the Vancouver corridor, but nothing that we would think is material at this point. The one thing that we do see, though, in the face of all of this good performance is we see volumes uh, ramping up uh, pretty quickly and pretty significantly. When we look at the numbers, we've seen volumes go up every week now for four straight weeks. This week, which is week seven, uh, we're averaging just under 9,000 cars online a day, which is 35% higher than last week and is double what it was four weeks ago. So, you know, what we've been talking about on a demand front about it going up, we're starting to see it in real time. We expect that to continue. Because as we know, the harvest is far from complete and certainly far behind in some areas like the Peace Region for CN. So the demand bubble that we talked about last week is starting to take shape, I think. With every passing week, I think that's more likely to happen, which is probably going to be problematic for the railways, I think. Although it shouldn't surprise them if they're watching. So industry is already concerned, and I don't think that concern is going to go away. But the only positive we could talk about right now is... That for both railways, their networks look to be pretty clean. Their idle car counts are very low. So, you know, fluidity is good. And that's always a good thing if demand's going to ramp up in a big way. So that's not bad. Yeah. And so obviously good news now, but we'll see. And and obviously I think there'll be a lot of other, we have the grain picture, but, you know, the, the surge in demand generally from a lot of other commodities starts to happen around now as well. So that, that increases even more pressure for the railways. Provincially, obviously with such high numbers, maybe nothing to that caught our eye, but anything in particular uh, from provincial, provincial performance? No, uh, good. Pretty much all the way around. You know, CP's slight weakness in the Vancouver corridor popped up in Alberta for them. Uh, but again, not material. So both railways, uh, again, this week, pretty steady across all provinces for all customers and pretty much in all corridors. So top line carries forward. All right. Thanks, Mel. So we'll be watching these numbers as they come in over the next couple of weeks, a uh, few weeks, actually, to see how things shake out. Something that could impact uh, Canada to some extent is the U.S. labor situation. So we're seeing a Friday deadline come with uh, the potential for either a strike or a lockout. This seems really significant, Mel. What uh, what's happening down in the U.S. right now? Yeah, it, it's significant. Is uh, is accurate? Basically, what you've got is all of the major uh, railways in the states. So all the Class One railways, which are negotiating as a block, if you will, with something like twelve different uh, rail unions, all simultaneously. 
uh, over every issue you can imagine. The deadline is as currently posted a minute after midnight on Friday, September the 16th. What, if anything, happens at that point if there is no agreement uh, that's reached is a question mark. People are talking strike, people are talking lockout. But the issue right now seems to be uh, pretty focused, and it seems to be down to uh, two unions that represent locomotive engineers and conductors. And really, their issue is not with all of the class one carriers, but based on you know what's out there in the media, seems to be particularly with the Union Pacific and with the Burlington Northern. And it's not about money. It's not about benefits. It's about some kind of an attendance system that those two railways have in place for their locomotive engineers and conductors. You know, not to get into any gory description of it, but basically what the union is claiming is the way that that attendance point system works is discriminatory against their members. They're not entitled to to days off for medical appointments or for sick days. And basically what the railways do is they start to knock points off an employee's total. When they get to zero, they get fired. So, you know, the unions, all of them have agreed to the wage increases that have been uh, offered, uh, which are not insignificant. But this seems to be very much a sticking issue with these two unions. And these are the two that matter, frankly. There are 57,000 of the total 115,000 employees that are currently involved in negotiations. But more importantly, they're the the employees that drive the trains. So everybody else can be ready to go to work. These guys don't show up, then nothing's happening. And that's going to be a problem because if that happens, the U.S. railway system will effectively shut down. So from a Canadian perspective... CPCN obviously have have lines down there, but from Canadian traffic perspective, I mean, would that mean we'd effectively see a traffic from Canada into the U.S. halted? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that both CP and CN are taking steps already to meter, if you will, the flow of traffic originating in Canada going to the States. We're hearing that, you know, embargoes are starting to be put in place and there's permitting systems that are starting to be put in place. And really the issue for CN and CP is while they do have operations in the States, pretty much everything that they carry into the States, CN a bit of an exception because, you know, they go all the way to the Gulf Coast on their own lines, but a lot of what they carry from Canada into the States ends up interchanging to U.S. railroads. And most of that happens either at Chicago or at Kansas City. So if those railroads go on strike and the U.S. network shuts down, you know, the last thing that CN and CP want is to have thousands and thousands and thousands of rail cars that end up basically stranded on their U.S. lines because there's no railway to connect to. So I guess they're taking preemptive steps, if you will, by trying to reduce the flow of traffic. And I would say as we get closer to the Friday deadline, if there's no resolution that's in sight, we're probably going to see them cut the flow of traffic to the states off altogether just for self-preservation. Yeah, it'd be fairly incredible. And there's I mean, I guess from a Canadian perspective, there's there's quite a lot of, particularly with canola, canola meal, canola oil that probably goes down there, a significant tonnage that would be hugely impacted. You know, we're, we're no, I mean, the scale of this potential shutdown is really, I mean, when you look at the, the U.S. system, it would be pretty incredible. We're In Canada, we're obviously no strangers to labor, labor disruption. What's the current labor situation in Canada right now, Milta? Do we have unions close to the similar kind of situation? Yeah, we do. We know, of course, that CP went through their brief labor woes earlier this year. 
when they had like a 62-hour or 70-hour shutdown. But that was quickly resolved. But CN, I think, is is on the hot seat this year uh, based on we, what we can glean from the information that they make public. Uh, it looks like they've got four or five unions. They've got one that expired that does uh, that covers conductors in July. And I haven't seen anything that says that uh, that's been resolved. So I'm assuming it's still quote unquote, in negotiations, even though the agreement expired in July of 2022. But they've got three or four more that cover a total of 8,000 employees that are all going to expire by the end of December of 2022. So a large chunk, if you will, of CN's unionized workforce is up for renegotiation this year. You know, I can't say that I have any insight into uh, how well those negotiations are going or whether or not there's going to be a lot of animosity out there between the parties although those things historically haven't gone particularly well. Uh, so it'll be interesting. I mean, if you think of it in the context of what we were just talking about, where you know demand is rising, particularly for grain. Grain has made a strong point publicly this year about how important this year is. Uh, a labor disruption would be disastrous for that scenario. So I guess we all need to be hopeful that that goes the right way, but it's definitely a, you know, a capital R risk as we head into uh, winter. For sure. It's a huge, it's a huge risk. And there's a campaign in the grain sector right now called Canada is ready. And, you know, one of the points really is around this, that these kind of disruptions are hugely impactful on, on our ability to move grain and, and that we need to, we need to address some as soon as possible to, to avoid the kind of disruptions that, uh, that we have seen in the past and that we may see in the U.S. Uh, at the end of this week. All right, Mel. Well, thanks a lot for your time today. Uh, for those who would like to see the ATC reports, you can go to www.agtransportcoalition.com and we'll talk to you all next week. Bye.